Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. There are just far too many of them. One of the soldiers went to Joshua and reported. You see, they were sent out to look to see how many people were in the city. And knowing that the odds were not on their side for this particular battle, Joshua gathered his 30,000 men that were there. And he told them, listen carefully, men. The Lord is on our side. When I give the order, a group of us are going to create a distraction. Now, we're going to act like that we're going to attack the city head on. Our enemies, in their prideful ways, will leave their city to come and attack us. We will retreat as if we had been defeated so that they will chase us. Then, the remaining of you will go into the city while it's empty and then set it on fire. Then we will surround our enemies and then we'll take their city. And so the men all agreed that, well, this sounds like a good plan, Joshua. And so when night came, Joshua gave the order and everything went exactly accordingly to plan. The Canaanites left the city chasing after the first group of men as soon as they showed up to only turn around and see that their city, their fortress, was now in flames, burning to the ground. And as they tried to escape, as they tried to run back to their city, they found themselves surrounded by the entire Israeli army. Israel was victorious, for the Lord was with them. Now Joshua, after all this took place, he summoned all of the nation, the entire nation of Israel. He summoned them all, citizens and non-citizens who were traveling with them, elders, officials, and the judges. And he brought them to Mount Ebal. And there, on top of this mountain, Joshua had the Ark of the Covenant placed there for everyone to see. And then right next to the Ark, he built an altar so that we can remember what happened on this day, at this place. And then after the altar was built, Joshua, by one of the priests, by one of the Levites, he was handed a scroll that came from inside the ark. And they handed him the scroll, and Joshua, there on top of the mountain, opened what was called the Torah. And the scripture says that Joshua, right there on top of the mountain, with the Ark of the Covenant, with the altar built, read 
the entire book of the law on top of that mountain. Every word, every blessing, every curse. He read it exactly as it was written when it was handed to him by Moses. Joshua wanted this victory to belong to the Lord and not to man. A reminder that Israel is a nation that's set apart, a nation that is consecrated from the world, a nation that serves Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. The reading of the scripture on top of the mountain that day was to solidify that these truths that we find in the scripture are what will build Israel into a great nation. Not the power of man, but by the power of God's word and his promises. Let's pray together. So, Father, we, we come to you now, and we ask for your understanding, that when we open the, the scripture and we open the word, Father, may we read it and understand what it is you want from us. We don't want to walk out confused, but Father, I pray that as, just as your message, Lord, help me deliver this message. God, if I say anything that isn't true, then correct me on the spot. Don't let me even get down. But God, I pray now that we open our hearts and our minds to your word. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. morning. All right, just checking. Just seeing if you're with me over there. Well, I'm going to say up front that uh, I have a bottle of water down here because sometime earlier this week, Georgia has decided to be angry at me and has given me some allergies. Uh, so I, I'm, I've been battling that throughout the week. Uh, I think I'm on the other side of it, but if I had to take a pause, that's what, that's what it is. And I want to just say that it is great to be back with you all. Last Sunday, actually I missed a big weekend uh, Friday was Salvation Army Night out at the Gwinnett Stripers, and I hear that went fantastic. For, uh, I mean, you're talking to a guy that doesn't mind spending the evening at a baseball field, uh, so that was, you know, I hated that I missed that, and I missed Sunday, and I hated missing that, uh, because I truly do enjoy being with you, and just fellowshipping, and just, just being, just something about it. I, I missed you, and I'm glad that I'm back. And so today, we're actually going to stay in the Old Testament for just a little bit longer. I know some, if you're one of those New Testament, just give, me, just, just, just give me a few more weeks, I promise. But we're going to just stay in the Old Testament for a little bit longer uh, because we just finished up a series on Hezekiah. And all we're going to do right now is we're just going to really turn one page. That's it. And we're going to go to Josiah which is Hezekiah's great-grandson. That's where we're going to pick up. So this means right now, as we're just flipping one page, that we're picking up our story only three generations later. So we're not too far. We should have this really refreshed in our mind. We should know where we are. But just three generations later is where we're going to continue our story. Now, if you recall, and hopefully you do, it wasn't that long ago, but if you recall the story of Hezekiah, 
He was a righteous king. And he was the leader that Judah needed during that time. It was very, that story is a remarkable story. The battle with Assyria wouldn't have gone the way it did if it was not for Hezekiah's trust in the Lord. We went into that. And then, just like everybody else, Hezekiah dies. His time ends. And remember, remember what when Hezekiah died, Judah, the nation of Judah, is in a good, righteous place. It hadn't fallen down. It's, right, it's in a good spot. He was a good king that did right in the eyes of the Lord. But when he dies, his son Manasseh becomes king. So his son takes the throne. And the scripture says that Manasseh was, was not, not only an unrighteous king, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The scripture actually says that he was the evilest king to have ever reigned over Judah. Ever. This even includes the evil kings of the northern kingdom. And all of those guys were bad. There wasn't one good of them. But here, it says Manasseh was so e he was evil over all of them who has ever lived on the land of Israel. Now scripture also tells us that he was the longest reigning king. He was king for 55 years. 55 years, that's a long time. Now I know many of us just witnessed the end of a 70 year reign, didn't we? And that was a long time. I don't even, I mean, that's the first time any of us probably have seen a transition of power like that. But here we are, and this guy was king for 55 years, which, which was unheard of. Now, this means that Judah, under the leadership of Manasseh, has spent a very long time away from the Lord. A very long time. Now, what did this guy do that was so bad? What made him the evilest king of all of Israel, all of Judah? Well, Scripture tells us. It doesn't spare the details. It says here that he rebuilt, Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, he rebuilt all, not some, all of the pagan altars that his father tore down. He built them all back. Then he added additional altars, like the pagan god Baal. He built an altar for him. He started new pagan traditions in Judah. And, and, and he took them from the northern kingdom. When they started to lean toward paganism, he took their practices and brought it down south and started implementing those within his own nation. He also converted the temple. Yes, the, the holy place, the temple. He converted it to a pagan temple where not only not just one, but over 60 gods were worshipped regularly inside this temple. He practiced sorcery. He consulted with those who practiced witchcraft to lean on for his advice. This is who he had in his inner court. And then, yes, it even says that he killed his own son so that he could offer his child as an offering to the pagan gods. This guy was committed to being away from the Lord. I mean, how could this happen? This is the question I kept asking myself when I was reading through the scripture. How could this happen? How could the people 
turn so quickly. I mean, it wasn't but just one, one generation ago that God freed them from their oppression with Assyria. Just one. Some of them would have been alive when God defeated Assyria with just an angel. The entire, entire army was defeated by one. They would have been alive during that time. My friends, this is only a reminder that unrighteousness and evil are always only one generation away. Always. You and I, we must actively and intentionally read God's word so that we aren't the generation it happens to. It's easy to forget. Even in our own lives, when we, have the, when we experience the miracle touch of our Lord, how soon we are to forget. And as you can imagine, I'm sure, if we were to dive into the Manessi story, it doesn't end well for him. It ends with God sending a prophet to the king, and he has a message for him. And he says, and this is God speaking to Manessi, you, O king, have done more evil than all of the pagan nations themselves. They are more righteous than you are. Therefore, I am going to bring destruction on Jerusalem and Judah. I will wipe out all of Jerusalem. I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance, my own people, and hand them over to their enemies. O Judah, you have provoked me to anger from the day I freed you from Egypt to now. And so God here is telling the king that your nation will be wiped out because of your actions, because of you. Your nation will fall. And so here, how does the king respond? Well, we know that kings like this usually respond really well. No. He responds by anybody in the nation coming and pleading, king, turn your ways back. But we hear the cry from the Lord, don't do it, don't go. The scripture says that he kills them all. Anyone who comes and opposes him to turn his way back, he slaughters them. He slaughters them all. And it's actually believed in Orthodox Jewish tradition that in, in the actual Jewish lineage, it is believed that Manasseh, during that time, had the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. He had him sawed in half because of his opposition to the, to the prophet's word. Judah has fallen. It's a lost nation. And so when this evil king dies, his son Amon becomes king, and he was just as evil. He kept it going. He fueled the fire. He just kept it going. And in fact, the only thing we know about this guy, the only thing we know, he's got one paragraph in the scripture. And the reason why is that he was so bad that his own inner circle, his own officials around him, had to work with this guy every day, assassinated him. We can't take this guy. And so he had two years on the throne. And that was it. And then now, after his assassination, his son Josiah 
became king. Who said Old Testament was boring? This is, this is, this is a million-dollar script right here. But Josiah becomes king. And Josiah took the throne at the age of eight. Now, to put that into perspective, that is the same age as my son Joshua. That's scary. <laughs> Very scary. Now, I'm sure Joshua's first order as king would be to turn the entire nation into a baseball field. <laughs> Fun, but probably not what we need. However, when we read into the life of Josiah, the young king was exactly what Judah needed. The scripture says that Josiah was a good king. I don't know how. He didn't have some good examples before him. But it says that he was a good king and he did right in the eyes of the Lord. And so what we see is that when you cross-reference 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings... When you take these two scriptures and lay them side by side, we can get a good image of the life of Josiah. And what we know is that as he was coming to age, because at eight years old, this guy's king. And as he was coming to age in his teenage years, he, for whatever reason, we don't, we don't know why, for whatever, he decides that he's going to start leaning the nation back to Jehovah. He's going to start kind of steering the ship this way. And so he starts to go and tear down all these altars. He starts to go and reclaim the temple, that this probably should really only be for one guy. And he goes and starts leading the way into the nation that, that I know this is what we should be doing. However, I want to just say that, that it is what he did at the age of 26 is what he will be remembered for forever. According to Scripture, when he was 26 years old, he must have gone out one day and looked at the temple. And he noticed that the condition of the temple wasn't what it used to be. Walls were starting to crumble down just a little bit. The floor was coming up just a tad. There was maybe some water leaks in the ceiling there on the roof. The age of the temple was starting to show. And he decided that we should probably do something about that. And so he does the very first capital campaign. And he goes out and tries to raise the money. Now, we call that taxes, I know. But he goes out, and the people bring in all the money to come to repair the temple, to actually get it up to speed. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise that the temple's in this condition, because for the last two generations that we know of, the temple had lost its theological authority. It was, another, it was a building that, that things took place in. The people had turned it into a pagan den. And so Josiah decides it's time to restore it properly. And so the king, he gathers his secretaries. By the way, fantastic job reading all their names. You must have done your homework. Man, that was a lot of names. I call them his secretaries. <laughs> if you want to know the names, go see one of them. So his secretaries, he, get, he calls them all in. He calls in the high priest, Hilkiah, and he gives them the project management responsibility. He says, you're in charge of making sure this temple is back to code, back to shape. 
And so they go out and hire out the contractors, and they begin the work. Josiah, however, what he did not know is that when he gave the order to repair the temple, to go and fix this crumbling place, he did not know what was hiding within the walls of the temple, just waiting to be discovered. You see, one day, the king is probably sitting in his office, doing kingly things. And he hears a knock. Uh, Come on in. And enters one of his secretary. It was Shaphan. And he was there to give the king his daily report on how the project was going. Now, the king, probably from his nice little window of view, can see the temple uh, in all of his glory, he could, he could see it from his soul, and he could probably see the image of scaffolding, uh, workers, movement going in and taking place. I know, I'm, I know Josh Powell's getting real excited because I said scaffolding. I know. That's, that's a handyman if I ever met one. And so he could probably just see, see the temple and just watch. And it's exciting. When, you see, when we have a project going on, isn't it exciting? You're just kind of like, man, something, I feel like something's happening. So, and so here he is. The, the secretary comes in, and the king asks, how are things going down at the temple? Oh, they're moving right along, sir. See, we have collected all of the money just as you requested, and, and it seems I have great news, O king. It, it looks like it should be enough to cover the budget. Oh, that's fantastic. Also, I'm happy to report that the workers, they themselves seem to be very honest, and they understand the special attention that this temple needs, according to what you were saying. Well, that's very good to hear. We're on budget. We have fantastic workers. Perhaps we're on schedule. This is great. Well, thank you for the report. Oh, there, there is one other thing, my king. Okay, what do, what do you got? Well, the high priest, Hilkiah, uh, when we were touring the property, he, he had found some old scrolls. He handed me some these scrolls here. And I... He asked me to bring them to you in case you were interested in maybe what they were or what they are. All right, well, if the high priest gave you the scrolls, then I imagine they held some importance. So, um, sure, let's take a look at them. Would you like me to read them to you, sir? Yeah, that sounds like a good deal. Yeah, read them out to me. Yes, sir. And he opens the scroll. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And as the secretary kept reading the scrolls, the words coming off these scrolls found in the temple, as he kept reading and reading, the king started to lean in. He started to really listen to what was being said. You see, the discovered scrolls found in the temple were the original Torah, the actual Word of God, the written Word of God, the book of the law, the forgotten scriptures. Now, to truly know the importance of what just took place, to know the interaction that took in the king's presence that moment, We have to actually know 
what the law says about maintaining itself, the actual law, the written word. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, it says that the king was to have a personal copy of the law at all times, an actual personal copy. He kept with him at all times, and he was to read it regularly so that he can stay in line with the Lord as the leader. Josiah did not have a personal copy of the law, probably because of his own father and grandfather's disobedience. They probably disposed of the king's copy if they even had one. Deuteronomy chapter 31 says that the entire law, the entire Torah, was to be read out loud to an assembly of the entire nation once every seven years. And it was to be done at the Feast of the Tabernacles so that the general population can be reminded and hear the audible word of God. The first time that that ever took place, the first time in recorded scripture where the reading of the scripture was before the nation was when Joshua read it on top of Mount Abal. When they defeated the Canaanites. And the last recorded public reading of the scriptures before the time of Josiah was 250 years before Josiah became king. King Josiah could very well be hearing the audible word of God for the first time. He's leading a nation blindly. He's hearing it. And here, when hearing the word, when hearing the, as he was reading this, his reaction, the king's reaction, was the same reaction that all of us had when we truly heard it for the very first time ourselves. He fell to his knees because he now fully understands the magnitude, the power, and the authority of the creator, the preserver, and the governor of all things, of El Shaddai, of Jehovah Jireh, of El Oyan and Yahweh himself, of God Almighty. He fell to the ground and he tore his clothes because he knew that his power was nothing compared to the great king of Judah. And whenever the word of God is discovered, every time when it is discovered, read for the first time, the same thing happens every single time. If you look back throughout church history, or just history itself, every major spiritual awakening from the Old Testament all the way to Billy Graham, it was all because of one thing. The people were brought back to the Word of God. That's what did it. It wasn't a fancy speaker, lights, or smoke shows. Every time when spiritual awakening took place, it was only because we brought them back to the source, to the Word. And here, Josiah, in that moment, was bringing the people back to the word. And revival was on its way. It was on its way. There is, there is power in the written word. There's legitimate power in the written word. Nations change when they find it. Leaders change when they embrace it. And hearts change when they accept it. We must not, 
We cannot overlook the fact that God's word stands on its own. <clears throat> you and I do not need to defend it. For it has already stood the test of time. <clears throat> You're not going to make me stop saying this. So I'm going to tell you that. I'm not doing this now. Mm -hmm. The written word, the scripture, it can transform hearts. It can bring healing to the sick. It can bring prodigal sons home. It brings peace to those who are fighting. It brings rest to those who are weary. And yes, it brings salvation to the lost. When we, when you and I, when we don't have the words, it does. It has them. We must, my friends, we must allow God to speak to us. Allow them to speak to us. We need to know. You and I, we need to know what the scripture says. And we must pass it down to our children. <coughs> and teach them the ways of the Lord. through that part. Hmm. This is too important. <clears throat> Give me strength, Lord. It's time. It is time to rediscover the Word of God. And I'm not talking about going and buying the latest devotional or a commentary or even taking my word for it. But to rediscover the actual word of God ourselves. You want revival? You want spiritual awakening? First of all, you might not. <laughs> you may not want that. But I'm going to tell you, and when it comes, when we open the word and we let the, the word, the written word speak to us, put on, an, an, well, I'm not a really good reader, Captain, I'll put it on audio tape, put it on audible, stick it on and listen to it, just as the way the king did, listen to it and let it speak to you because it is time discover the source where it all comes from. Everything. So this morning, perhaps it's time for us to renew our covenant with the Lord God Almighty. 
Maybe it's time to build an altar on top of the mountain so that we can all remember what has taken place with the word of the Lord. The altars are open. Maybe it's time to just commit, Lord, I will read your word. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.